Good morning, church. Happy 4th of July. This is Sunday, July 4th. I hope you and your family will have a safe holiday. Be safe, whether you're traveling, staying at home. Also, just to remind you, we're going to have some good times next week. That's uh, July the 11th, where we are going to come to our church, and we're going to be in person in the sanctuary, same hours, so you better be here, okay? We're expecting that. Also, one more the announcement, in person, um, on the 11th at 9 a.m., 1045, we're going to be online still, uh, <clears throat> either, then it's going to be taped either on Sunday or the next day, uh, which, if you have any questions concerning that, contact cryout.org. Uh, for, for those uh, questions you may have, okay? I hope you have a wonderful day. Let's, let's get started with a word of prayer. Father God, I just thank you, Lord, for this day. We ask, Father God, that we would uh, live in the freedom of Christ. We thank you, Lord, for Jesus. We thank you, Father, that you are Lord and Savior. Father God, continue to be with us as we go forward with you. New beginnings, Lord, and help us, Lord, to be more like your son. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay. The title of my message uh, this morning is uh, From Captivity to Freedom, taken from the book of Ezra chapter 3, verses 1 to 13, and Haggai chapter 1, 1 through 15. Today we celebrate our freedom. July 4th is celebrated as America's official split from Britain's rule and the beginning of the American Revolution. There were 13 colonies in America who were forced to pay taxes to England's King George III with no representation in the parliament. So the Continental Congress adopted the Declaration of Independence on July 4th, 1776. One year later, on July 4th, 1777, Philadelphia marked the Independence Day by adjourning Congress and celebrating with bonfires, bells, and fireworks. And that custom spread to other towns, both large and small. In 1941, Congress declared July 4th a legal federal holiday. Today, across the nation, marks this major Midsummer holiday with parades, fireworks, picnics, and playing of the what? Star Spangled Banner. And before the pandemic, before the pandemic, many of us perhaps may have taken our freedom for granted. As you study God's word, you will soon discover a major theme in the Old Testament. And in that narrative, the word captivity, the people of Israel spent 400 years in captivity in Egypt. And then later, they spent 70 more years in captivity in Babylon. And the words captivity and the words captives are used over 400 times in the Bible. A panda that is kept in a cage at the zoo is an example of panda that is in captivity. In captivity, animals might not act the same way they did in the wild. So 
The question is, what is captivity? Well, captivity is the condition of having your freedom limited. Having your freedom limited involuntary. Excuse me. <clears throat> captivity is being confined or trapped or restricted or controlled against your will. Now, does that sound vaguely familiar to you about this year? The opposite of captivity is emancipation, freedom, independence, liberty, and choice. Now, using that definition, we would say that this past year, the COVID-19 global pandemic was a year of captivity for all of us because our freedom was limited, our choices have been restricted, our lifestyles have been confined, our behavior has been controlled, and in some ways, we have felt trapped. And sometimes, and then sometimes by this pandemic. Now, here's the question. Would you agree with that, church? You see, when a soldier goes back home, and they know they're coming home, but things have changed. And during their time in battle, they change too. So there's some difficulty in re-entering and readjusting to normal life. Because guess what? Normal changed. Now, I'm certain that in this next year, tens of millions of people around the world are going to feel that way in 2021 as we resume life after the pandemic because things are never going to be the way they were exactly before the pandemic. The world has changed and you have changed and the church has changed and we all have to make some adjustments in many ways. This past year, was really one long trauma, not drama, trauma. And if you know anything about trauma, you know that trauma changes you. You're not the same person after a trauma that you were before. Now, there will be some adjustments being made this year as we resume life. How do we? How do we re-enter, resettle life after the pandemic? Well, in many ways, God is giving us an opportunity to reset our lives after the pandemic. And instead of just returning to the same old patterns, old behaviors, and old habits, and sins, God has given us a moment where we can build a better us, a better you, build healthier lives. Now, fortunately, the Bible gives us a lot of encouragement and actually a lot of advice on how to do and what to do in time when all the choices start coming back to us. 
when all of a sudden we're not as restricted in our freedom. Now, in the Old Testament, there are five books of encouragement that were written to God's people to encourage them and to tell them what to do when they were finally released from 70 years of captivity in Babylon. These are called the post-exile books. Post-exile books. They are the books of Ezra, who was a priest, Nehemiah, who was a civic leader and a builder. And then we have Haggai and Zechariah and Malachi, who were prophets of God. These five books together will help us find encouraging principles that God gave to his people through these five men and taught them how to build a better, stronger life after experiencing that trauma and captivity as well as crisis. That being said, I want us to look at some principles on how to re-enter the world as the COVID pandemic or captivity winds down. And I wanna share with you how to build an even better life with this opportunity, to do life as God is giving you an opportunity to do a reset. We find the first principle of resuming in the book of Ezra. So here's the first principle. Number one, expect to feel mixed emotions. Expect to feel mixed emotions. The nation of Israel was about as spiritually low as you can go. The northern kingdom had fallen to the Assyrians in 722 BC after a history of idol worship. The southern kingdom of Judah fell in 587 BC when Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Jerusalem and the temple and dragged the Jews into captivity in Babylon. 50 years passed when out of the gloom, according to God's promise through Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 10 through 14, he stirred up the pagan king Cyrus to issue a decree permitting the Jews to return to the land. Almost 50,000 Jews responded. They gave up their lives in Babylon, risked the dangers and difficulty of the journey across the desert, and now we're back in the land. But it wasn't the land the old-timers had once known. It was a land devastated by war suffering from uh, 50 years of neglect. The hostile people that had moved in viewed these returning Jews with suspicion. There was nothing happening spiritually at the time. And yet God had promised a new beginning in this desolate ghost town. Jeremiah chapter 33, excuse me, verses 10 through 11. Now, whether it is to his people in the corporate section or in the individual section, believers who have fallen into sin, our God is a God of new beginnings. 
To the fallen but repented King David, the prophet said, The Lord has taken away your sin. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13. To the disobedient and chastised prophet, Jonah vomited out of the great fish. The word of the Lord came the second time. Joshua chapter 3, verse 1. To the weeping and, and, and broken Peter, the risen Savior appeared privately to restore him. Question, have you, have you ever failed the Lord? But you know what? God is gracious, and he offers you a new beginning. Letter A on your outline. The word is joy, joy and sadness, joy and sadness. Now, don't be surprised if you feel mixed emotions, and even conflicting emotions as you continue to re-enter life after this pandemic. And as we begin public worship services again, uh, indoors next week, I know there will be a feeling of what? Happiness, right? And joy to see others from our church all together again. And perhaps some sadness at the same time for all the things that were lost this past year. With the altar rebuilt and the traditional forms of worship restored, the people and their leaders next turned their attention to the building of the temple. Ezra chapter 3, verse 8. Now in the second month, the second year, they're coming to the house of God, at Jerusalem, Zerubbabel, the son of Jealtaal, Jeshua, and the son of Jodadak, and the rest of their brethren, the priests and the Levites, and all those who had come out of the captivity to Jerusalem, began work and appointed the Levites from 20 years old above to foresee the work of the Lord. In his house, Ezra chapter 3, verse 8. So a day came when the foundation of the temple was complete. It was a historical and colorful, colorful occasion uh, with a great deal of ceremony, uh, rituals, music, and, and a lot of singing. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the son of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever towards Israel. Then all the people shouted, shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Ezra chapter 3, verses 10 through 11. But it was also a deeply moving occasion with a mixture of sadness and joy. But many of the priests and the Levites and heads of the father's house, houses, old men 
who had seen the first temple wept. They wept with a loud voice when the foundation of his temple was laid before their eyes. Yet many shouted aloud for joy so that people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the sound was heard afar off. Ezra chapter, excuse me, <clears throat> Ezra chapter 3, verses 12 to 13. Now, we can understand why there were shots of joy, right? But why were the old men weeping? Couple of reasons. One reason could be that they were comparing the dimensions of the present temple with the hugeness and magnificence of Solomon's temple of some, what, 50 years earlier, in which they could re easily remember, uh, remember it. And if that was the case, it was wrong thinking on their part. You see, the prophet Haggai seems to confirm this for some 50 years later when the work of the building was still underway. And he, this is what he said to the people. He said, who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now in comparison with it? Is it not in your eyes as nothing? But then he goes on to say, the glory of this latter temple shall be greater, greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. Haggai chapter 2, verses 3 and 9. But here's another reason. Here's another reason that might explain the old man's weeping. They could have been remembering what had been made this day of celebration necessary. It was the nation's sin and their idol worship and disobedience to God's law that had brought uh, what divine judgment on them in the form of an exile in Babylon. They were upset when they called to mind how they and their fathers had grieved God. If that were so, I would say their weeping was not a bad thing because the tears were made of, uh, of repentance. Those were repentance tears. It is right then that you know, we should uh, shed tears at times when we can remember uh, how often that we grieve the Holy Spirit and perhaps wound God's heart by perhaps a poor quality of our Christian lives. And for now, things are going to be different post-pandemic. And, and I want to say to you, if you have mixed emotions, conflicting emotions about re-entering after pandemic, guess what? Welcome to the human race. That is 100% normal. It is possible to have conflicting emotions at the exact time, especially after a trauma 
or after a major loss. Here in America, families are grieving. Uh, the loss of over a million family members who died from COVID-19. Over half a million Americans died and their families, their family members are still grieving those losses. But even those of us who have never been touched by the virus itself, you've had losses also. There has been loss of jobs, loss of, of revenue, loss of graduations, missed celebrations, uh, missed family events, like weddings. And as I said, graduations and, and the births of babies, and many of you have had loved ones died, not from COVID, but you couldn't even travel to their funeral to be there for that. Now, the Bible, again, tells us to weep with those who weep and to rejoice with those who rejoice. Now, here's the second principle that God wants you to practice in a new way. Here it goes. Number two, extract the lessons you learned. Extract the lessons you learned. As restrictions are lifted and opportunities open up, around you, before you rush off and start a bunch of new things, here's what God wants you to do. He wants you to, to consider the lessons that you learned the last year and a half during the pandemic. Don't let this year be wasted. You went through a lot of pain. Make sure you take the time to gleam some spiritual truths from what you learned and what you experienced this past year. Paul tells it this way. Galatians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. He says, you have experienced many things. Were all those experiences wasted? I hope not. Now, <clears throat> Life Journal. Life Journal is not a diary. Dear diary... Here's what I, I did today, okay? I'm not interested in what you did, okay? And you won't be either. But what you are interested in is what did I learn? What did I learn? Here, here's some questions that you might want to be asking. What have I learned about what matters most? What, have, what did I learn about what matters most this last year and a half? What did I learn about what doesn't matter? What did I learn about my weaknesses? What have I learned about my strengths, about my relationships this past year? What have I learned about my pace of living, my pace in life? What have I learned this year about my God? What did I learn this last year about the world and the culture around me? The place that I live? What did I learn about using my time? You know what? These are some questions you can ask yourself. What did I learn about money? What did I learn about happiness? So number one, expect to have mixed emotions as you re-enter happy and sad. Number two, extract the lessons you learn. Write them down. Don't waste them. And here's the third principle from the five books 
that are about encouragement after the exile, resuming life after captivity, we now go to the prophet named Haggai. And he wrote to encourage people to as they were trying to resume normal life after being in captivity for a period. Here's the third thing. Number three, evaluate. Evaluate everything before resuming it. Evaluate. Don't just automatically say, hey, well, I'm going to go back to this and start doing everything I did before the pandemic. Because there was some stuff you were doing before the pandemic, and it's likely that some of those activities you shouldn't restart. You know what I'm saying? God is giving you an opportunity to reset, to resettle your, what, entire life. Now, now's the time to do it, to reset, right, your entire life. He's given you the opportunity to establish, what, new habits, new patterns. God has given you an amazing opportunity to reset your life. It's about building a better life. And what begins with evaluating and analyzing and examining what you were doing before this pandemic started. And then what you got to do is decide this. Do I want, do I want to keep doing that thing? Or do I want to restart that thing? Or do I? No, 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 no. I don't miss it, right? B. Here's what you got to do. Putting first things first. Putting first things first. Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 through 15. We would not understand Haggai's message properly if we forgot that the people whom he was speaking had made this the difficult commitment to leave their establish way of life in Babylon and make the dangerous journey back to the land of promise. They had homes, church. They had some good homes. They had their jobs in Babylon. Most of them had been born and raised there, but they knew that God's purpose for his people involved the promised land. So by faith, they had responded to the call to return and had committed themselves to uh, the hardships of getting reestablished in the land that had been devastated by war. Right after returning, they had made an attempt to rebuild the temple, but gradually they lost their vision and had drifted uh, into a lifestyle where God's house was no longer the priority. They probably viewed it as a nice thing to do, but not necessary. It's kind of an extra thing that we're thinking, but not essential. So we need to see ourselves in this, in this picture. If you know Christ, there was a time, now think about it, when you made a personal commitment to him. You decided to follow Jesus, right? as the chorus goes, at first, you were zealous for spiritual things, right? You read your Bible every day. You attended Bible classes. You got involved in serving the church. Then, then someone at church ticked you off, or you were disillusioned 
with the disappointing results, or you perhaps encountered personal trials that God didn't remove after even much prayer, then you started a career and a family. You had to pay bills, the mortgage, the car, and other demands of your life. Church, church and the Lord's work drifted, drifted into the background. You still attend church as often as you can, but guess what? It has become a slice of life, not the center. You tell yourself that you just don't have time to serve as you used to. Someone else who doesn't have these responsibilities that you have will have to get involved, right? Without deliberately uh, rebelling against God, you have drifted into putting your house above God's house. They were saying, the time has come, even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. That's chapter 1, verse 2. If you had asked them, if you would have asked them why the temple had not been built, this is the way they probably would respond. They say this, look at, don't get me wrong. I'm for building the temple. I'm for all that. It's a great cause, yes. But you know what? Right now, the timing isn't right. You see, we're in this economic downturn right now. Everyone's pitched for, pinched for money. Taxes are going up. There are not enough good jobs out there. It's all I can do to provide for my family. But you know what? Times will get better, and then we'll rebuild the temple. You know what? We're all prone to make up excuses. Excuses for why we are not obedient to put God's, God first with the time and money that he's entrusted us. Sometimes we even use the Bible to support our excuses. Then you know what the Bible says. The Bible says if a man doesn't provide for his own family, he's worse than an, an unbeliever and has denied the faith. I'm just trying to obey that verse by providing for my family. But you know what? Someday, I'll have all the kids through college, okay? All my bills will be paid, and then, and then, we'll give more to the Lord's work. You know what? This is a hectic time in our family life. You know, the kids, man, they demand so much of my attention. Every day, sticking up with meetings, their needs. But someday, we'll be through this phase, okay? And then, We'll get involved in the church. You know what? The people in Haggai's day were having problems. They sowed plenty of seed, but there was a drought, and the crops didn't yield as much as they had hoped for. That meant that they had less to sow the following year even though they needed to make up the, for the previous bad year. No matter how hard they tried, they just seemed to be spinning their wheels. Inflation seemed to be gobbling up the little bit they earned. It was like putting money into the bag with holes. Verse 6, chapter 1. By the end of the month, there was nothing left. 
Of course, the hard times meant that they didn't have any extra to give towards the uh, team temple building fund, right? But surely God understood their difficult uh, circumstances. Well, what they didn't see, what they didn't see was that God not only understood their circumstances, he had caused them. You hear what I said? He caused them. They were working harder, but going behind faster. But they had stopped to consider, they hadn't stopped to consider that God was trying to tell them something. Haggai came along, and he says what he said. Hey, guys, wake up here. It's God who controls the rain and the harvest. He is withholding his blessing because your priorities are all jacked up. Put his house first. And guess what? He'll bless you. Seek first his kingdom. And guess what? All these things will be what? Added onto you. Now, here's the third principle. Haggai chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. This is what the Lord Almighty wants you to do. He's talking to people who've come out of captivity. This is what the Lord Almighty wants you to do. Take a good hard look at your life. Think it over, he says. You spend a lot of money, but you haven't much to show for it. You fill your plates, but you're never filled up. You keep drinking, but you're always thirsty. You put on layers of clothing, but you can't get warm. God says you need to admit your frustrations. You need to admit your lack of fulfillment. I keep eating, but I'm not satisfied. I keep drinking, but I'm still thirsty. Excuse me. Again, these are metaphors for dissatisfaction. He says, just admit, just admit and ask yourself, why am I so unfulfilled? And if what I was doing before the pandemic was so unfulfilling, why in the world should I start it up again just because I got the freedom to do it? Expect to have mixed emotions. Extract the lessons you learn. Write them down. Don't waste them. Evaluate everything. And now eliminate the non-essentials in my life. Eliminate the non-essentials. Really important in your life. In the days ahead, as you begin to re-enter the world post-COVID, you need to reevaluate and then eliminate the non-essentials in your life. I want to remind you of a physical and emotional, emotional fact. Whether you admit it or not, and it is this. None of you, none of you have the same level of energy you did a year and a half ago. You say, how do you know that, Pastor Joy? Because I know how trauma works. Trauma drains you. And your battery has been drained every single day by all the changes. Are you with me? That have happened. All the restrictions, all the different things. There have been all kinds of new stresses in your life this past year and a half. And every day it's a little trickle down, trickle down, and you don't have the same energy, uh, the physical or emotional stamina that you did a year and a half ago. That's not to say you won't get it back. Maybe some of you guys have it back. Right? I'm just saying you don't have it right now. Now, if that's true, which it is, then it means that using what energy you have 
You know what? I got to be smart about it. Does that make sense? It makes sense to me. Since I don't have much energy I used to have, I better use what I got. Whatever I, I, I've got, I got to use it wisely. I got to better use it efficiently. And that includes eliminating non-essentials. It's far more important that you not waste any energy since you have less of it. Now, there are a couple of things in scriptures that show how this drains your energy. And these are, the first one I want to give you, it says, one is weights, W-E-I-G-H-T-S, weights. The things that weigh you down. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Let us run the race before us and never give up. We should remove from our lives anything that will get in the way. Circle that, in the way. And the sins that hold us back. Sins hold us back, right? And then the, e, the CEV version says something like this. We must throw off every, every weight that slows us down. Throw it away. Heavy stuff. Sin. Especially those sins that just won't let go. You just don't want to let go of them. They just have you choking. All right. I hate to tell you this, but some of the things that survived COVID, guess what? Were your sins, your habits, your patterns, your, your bad attitude. If you have a habitual area, if you have a habitual area of sin, of anger, impatience, okay, fear, jealousy, resentment, gossip, and loss, I can make a list, you know, 4,400 words deep. If it was with me at the beginning of COVID, that's something I still got with me. He said, that's something you do want to let go of. Those what weights. And he says, those sins, you know what they are? They keep on, the same sins keep on coming. He said, the things that hold you down, every sin in my life holds me down. Second thing, let go, eliminate our non-essentials. And that's in the next verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. I let go of the sins that weigh me down. I, go to, I let go of what? Non-essentials. Everything is permissible, right? 1 Corinthians 6, 12. But not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but for me, but I won't be mastered by what? By anything. Point here. Some things are not necessarily wrong. They're just not necessary. And since you have a limited amount of energy, you need to look at your life. I'm going to pause there. You need to look at your life. Look at your schedule and go, okay, I did this before COVID, then it got cut back. Do I really need it? Do I really need to start it? No, no, no. Do I miss it? No, 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 no. Go ahead and eliminate permanently some of the non-essentials that maybe you used to do that you really don't need to do, keep on doing. The third thing is your nasty old habits, all right, in your life. You're telling me you don't have any nasty old, old habits? It's there, believe me. And that's expressed in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24. It says, get rid of your old self. Well, that's pretty clear, right? Get rid of your old self, which made you live like you used to live. You know what? The old destructive patterns that were rooted in deceitful desires. What is he saying? Church, what is he saying? The old destructive patterns rooted in deceitful desires. Every self-defeating behavior in your life is based on a lie. You do it because you think it's going to be helpful. I think I know what uh, will make me happy more than God. I think I know what will work. I think I, and I listen to the lie of my deceptive desires. 
everything. Anytime I'm having a bad attitude or anytime I'm tempted to sin, I need to stop and go. What lie am I believing right now about me, about life, about my God? Because Satan is the father of all lies, right? And he says, get rid of your old self. Make sure you leave the old away. Instead, he says, let your heart and mind be made completely new. Put on your new self, right? The word new, new self, reset, okay? It's kind of a modern version. When I use the word reset, it's just a modern term for to put on your new self, okay? Which created to be like God and shows itself in the true life. That's better, the better life. That's the right and that's good. Fifth one. Here's your fifth one. They're almost done here. I'll let you go home. Choose God's priorities. Choose God's priorities. His priorities. The Bible has a lot to say about this. And I can give you a whole bunch of verses, but I know you're tired. I'm going to give you a real short one here. And I love this story. This one, this one time, Jesus was visiting his friends. And they were Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And Martha is, is more worried about the meal than spending time with Jesus. And she actually complains about her sister, about not helping her. And, and then Jesus gently corrects her. And in Luke chapter 10, verse 41 and 42, Jesus says something like this. He says this, my dear friend, Martha, Martha, my dear friend, you worry and you fuss over so many different little things. But really only one thing is essential. What had Mary selected? What? Spending time with Jesus. So here's the question. Is spending time with Jesus the top priority in your schedule? Because if it's not, you're never going to move from the good life to the better life. To move from the good life to the better life, guess what? You have to spend time with Jesus. It should be the number one on your list, your to-do list. Is it? No. Probably not. On your to-do list for Monday morning, spend time with Jesus, probably not on that list, right? I suggest that post-COVID, you start making your number one list, and that's Jesus, right? Now, only one thing, only one thing is essential, and that is spending time with Jesus, right? In this post-COVID, post-pandemic world where everything else has changed, and you've already changed what are you doing? What do you attempt? What are, what are you always attempting to resume your, exact, your life exactly as it was before the pandemic with, with no changes at all? Are you doing that? Will you again resume the rat race? Will you return to the old habits and the old sins, the old patterns of sins? Will, will you refill your life with old pleasures and, and old problems and with old fears that you had? If you try to do this, it's not going it's to work. It's just going to reduce you to grumbling and complaining and frustration and unhappiness. When you read God's book, when you read scriptures, you realize that God is a God of unionists. He's always doing new things. His, his, uh, his mercies are new, what, every morning. And if you want to live the better life, then you're going to need to cooperate with the new things the new things that God is going to do in your life, right? The new things God is going to do in this church, in your career, 
in your friends, in the new thing God is going to do in the world. Amen? God is a God of newness, and we have to cooperate with the new things God wants us to do. Are you ready to, to you know, get on this journey? Are you all in? Are you willing to do whatever it takes to move from simply a good life to a better life with Jesus? Here's a scripture, Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. The Lord says, forget the former things. Wow, I don't dwell on the past. Instead, look at the new things I'm going to do. I'm going to do, God says, look at the new things I'm going to do. They're already starting. They really happen, church. Can you see what he is talking about? Can you see what he's doing? And finally, it says this. Look for the new things I'm going to do and see what I've already begun to do. Amen? Amen. Father, your word is so clear, so practical, so relevant, so helpful. We have been through a lot this past year and a half. But you are giving us an opportunity to make a fresh new start and new changes, new circumstances, change opportunities, change priorities. Help us to practice, Lord, the principles of your word for resetting our lives after a trauma and let that has taken place this past year. Father, help us to eliminate the non-essentials in our lives. Help us to focus on what really matters so that we excel in what matters most, not what doesn't matter. Lord, help us to extract the lessons we've learned so we don't waste what happened. Help us to evaluate all our lives' activities. We seek you first and ask what we should, <coughs> ask what we should do so we may glorify you, Lord. Father God, increase our faith and love that casts out all fear in every member at Crowd Christian Fellowship, so that we will all move forward boldly and joyously in the things that you have done anew. Amen? Amen. Now, all of us have to make choices in life, and often those choices result in significant consequences. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every person is born alienated from God. And so to be saved, you must acknowledge that as a sinner, you deserve God's judgment. You must abandon all trust in yourself, in your good works, as a means of salvation. And you must trust in Christ's blood as God's payment for your sins. You can choose, right? You can choose to live back in the pandemic or go forward with God. You need to start a new life. A life outside of Christ, which is futile, and it's headed for eternal destruction. Destruction, excuse me. Or choose a life with Jesus as your Lord and personal Savior. Repent of your sin, accept his forgiveness, and if you declare in your mouth, with your mouth, Jesus Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from judgment and spend eternity with God. If that's you, if you never asked Jesus Christ to come into your life, to be your Lord and Savior here today, this is the opportunity. Pray this with me. Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, came to earth to be the Savior of the world, who died on the cross for my sins, and who rose from the dead on the third day. 
I repent of my sins, and by faith, I gracefully receive your gift of salvation. I'm ready to trust you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you. Thank you for bearing my sins and giving me the gift of eternal life. I believe your words are true. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus, and be my Savior, so I may obey you, trust you, follow you, love you, in Jesus' name. Now, if you set that prayer to ask Christ to come into your life and follow him, we'd love to hear from you. So you can email us at contact at contact at crowd.org. God bless you. I love you. Have a wonderful 4th of July.